So we're coming to a transition point in the book of Romans. We've made our way through chapters 1 through 8, and we are on the, the very edge of starting Romans 9. And I know I, know I said at some point along the way we're going to do a minor prophet, and I hate to let those down who are looking forward to that. We're going to get to those minor prophets soon. But I, I just can't stop with Romans. I, I mean, the flow is there, and chapter 8 just walks us straight to chapter 9, and I would hate to lose that, that, that movement through this incredible book. And so what I want to do is this Sunday have a sermon that will help equip us for the, the work of Romans 9, 10, and 11. These chapters that we face are not easy. They are very difficult chapters. They're glorious, filled with truth and beauty and glory. But I was thinking even just as we start this, this new year, 2022, Sometimes it's good to pause and step back and remind ourselves who we are. What is the vision, the mission that we are to pursue as those who call ourselves Good Shepherd Community Church? On the front of your bulletin every week, we have this in front of you. The goal is for it to be something that is, 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 is holding sway in your life, not just a place that you go on Sundays, but that you would see this as your mission. Those who call themselves Good Shepherd. So we, that is the members of Good Shepherd, we are a Christ-centered community. That is our longing above all else. We want Jesus Christ to be the epicenter, the focal point of everything we do, both when we gather and when we scatter. Your life, Christ-centered, top to bottom, 2022. That's our goal. We're also committed to glorifying God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so that is our, our longing and our desire as we go into a new year. Lord, I exist for Your glory. In every moment of this next year, I seek to glorify You. Help me to do that. Walk me into that in new ways. We're also committed to teaching the Word of God and the ways of God. So it's not just that we want to know it, but that we want to live it. We want to walk it out in our lives. To know it, understand it, and apply it. The Word of God is at the epicenter. It's really the foundation upon which we stand and move in this world. When we do this correctly, there is a, a, an overflow of love that happens. First and foremost, love for God, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love Him. But also to love one another. To love your neighbor as yourself. It moves outward from that. So we want to promote loving relationships, real, authentic, true, deep, committed, loving relationships, both among families and, and, and as among those who are married together. We want to esteem marriage and protect it and, and, uh, and encourage that, that love, that covenant, but also among the lost, uh, those who are out in the world who need Christ and they don't, they don't know Him yet. So Love in the family of God, but also love for those who are far from God. We do this by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want to be, make clear that it doesn't just say converts. As we, as we make disciples, a disciple is one who has the possession of faith by the grace of God, has embraced Jesus, and also says, now teach me how to live. Teach me how to think rightly. Teach me how to love and have affections that are in tune with what is right and righteous. And use me, Lord, to further your kingdom. That is our mission in this church. That is your mission, our mission shared together 
as we do what we do, whenever we do it, all week long, when we gather, when we scatter. Okay, so with that in view today, I want to preach for you from a passage that I candidated here on May 18th, 2008. It was after this sermon that I preached from, from this passage that the church voted to call uh, me and, and my family up from California to be here and to do what I set out in this sermon. Um, and so I, I thought it'd be fun to go back to that text and remember that for those who were here. It was, there's just a handful of, of those people who would remember that, that day and, uh, and then other, others who have come. This is who we are. This is what we, we, we value and esteem here. So a vision sermon uh, to remind us of our mission, our purpose, our goal, our aim in 2022, especially with the view to the looming beauty and glory and challenge of Romans 9 through 11. Let's pray before we dive into these verses. Oh God, we thank you for this amazing passage. We delight in your word. We treasure it. We trust it. We embrace it today. And we pray that you would speak, that we collectively together would hear from you as I preach your word. Use me, I pray, Lord, to that end. Equip us, build us, strengthen us, and then move us into this year to run the race of faith together, to sit under your word, joyfully embracing it with our whole lives. Work now, we pray in power, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All of Scripture in every season is the title of the sermon. All of Scripture in every season. This is a beloved passage of mine. It is it, is, it has met me on days when I am discouraged and down with strength and resolve. I want to drop into a text that we haven't been moving through verse by verse, and it's always important to have a little context, right? We don't just cherry-pick verses. We want to walk in here. What's happening? Who's talking? Well, this is the Apostle Paul. He's old. He's seasoned. He's wise. And he is speaking the words of God to encourage a young pastor who is really a, a protege of Paul. He's accompanied Paul on various trips. Um, he is, in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, Paul's spiritual son. And he is a timid man. Pastor Timothy was, was timid. He didn't have that, that, that boldness, that assertiveness that Paul seemed to just ooze. He, was, he struggled with this. And so Paul is meeting Timothy in that place with a charge as he thinks about what he is to do when he brings the word, when he shepherds, when he preaches. This is an amazing thing that, uh, that Paul gives as a gift, a charge really, to Timothy. But it doesn't stop there. It meets us here today. It is really a charge to all preachers, all men who would take the stage, who would stand here in this pulpit, every single one. This is a charge to all of us, but it's also, friends, a charge to all of you those who receive the preaching, those who are listeners, who come to sit under the ministry of the Word. And so you'll see on your sermon outline on the back of your bulletin, I have three points, and I, I put them in the perspective of the listener, even though a lot of these verses target me, the preacher, or who would be in the pulpit. They're for us all, and we all sit together under the Word, the authoritative Word of God. So let's jump in and see these just spectacular verses 
as they unfold. We are called to first embrace the whole counsel of God. Embrace the whole counsel of God. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God. Theos penustos. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What's the aim? What are we aiming for here? That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That is what the Word of God has as an aim when it meets you, to equip you for the works. And we know in Ephesians chapter 2 that there are works that God has predestined for you to do, and His Word is equipping you for those very works. That's an amazing thing. Wow. So, we begin with all Scripture, all of it. All the verses count. Every word of every verse in your Bible matters. It matters. The genealogies matter. The hard passages, like in Romans 9, those matter. The ones that you love, that you go to often. Oh, I found my soul just delighting in Psalm 119 again this past week. I love that chapter. Probably above all other chapters. That's my favorite. But, but that's not the only chapter in the Bible, is it? Every verse. We, we made it through Leviticus, right? Every verse in Leviticus matters. It is God's gift to His people. It's all from God. Think of the way your Bible is arranged. It's arranged by genre, not by chronology, but by genre. So you start with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you will find that nearly every major doctrine of the Christian faith is established in those first five books. That's why I have, I've been moving through. We've covered expositions through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus now we only have two left to go before we finish the Pentateuch. Um, if the Lord tarries, we're going to get there, okay? But then you go to history, and you have these historical books. And so Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then in the New Testament, the book of Acts is the history of the early church, giving a record of, of, of how things unfolded. Then wisdom and poetry, then prophecy, and then the four Gospels, the accounts of the works of Christ and His ministry and His, His accomplishment on the cross and the empty tomb. And then all of the letters. Think of the letters of the New Testament. All those by Paul and then those by the various authors. So it's, it's normal when you're studying your Bible to kind of be inclined to some of these genres and maybe a little less inclined to some of the others. Right? Sometimes if you're a, a history buff, you're like, oh man, I love digging on the history books. The prophecy stuff, I don't know if I study that as much, right? So we have to guard against this. It's so easy for us to have this kind of instinct. Well, I just love the Psalms. I'm just going to read those for my devotions my entire life. If you do that, you will be malnourished spiritually. So a challenge, an encouragement to you as you consider your devotional walk this year. Find a book in the Bible you have never gone deep in, and that is your book for this year. Take it on. Dig deep. Move through it. Go slow. Take your time. Get to know it. That's one of the reasons we're doing Isaiah. 
So we want to really go to some of those books that may be avoided or, or so, they're so big, they're scary. And uh, we need those books as well. Someone told me they wanted me to, to wait and preach Song of Solomon until after they died. And uh, I, I honor, I, I, I get that request. At some point, we're going to do the book of Song of Solomon expositionally, verse by verse. We're going to move because it's good for us. It is God's gift to the church. We need it. All Scripture is inspired by God. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So what is the whole counsel of God for us? Well, we have, we have the completed canon. We have Genesis through Revelation. That is the whole counsel of God. That is what is to be preached from the pulpit to the people. That is what you want to come hungry for. Everything between page one and the last page is on. It's, it's fair game, and that is where we want to go as a church. When I candidated and I, I preached this sermon, I, I told the church, if God tarries and gives me years, I'd like to preach every verse in the Bible here. And when we finish, I don't know what we'll do. We'll start over or something. But uh, the, the goal is every verse preached and embraced. Every verse heard, proclaimed, and held deeply, loved, and embraced. Every verse is God-breathed, God-inspired. Men wrote of old such that as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote with their own personalities and their own styles, but they wrote the very words of God. It, this, this is amazing. Just a, there's no book that you have in your home like this book. These words are the words of God. They speak with unity and clarity and authority and sufficiency, and they've been preserved by God for us to meet us in power. Sometimes I run into this. People will say, oh, you know, I'm just really encouraged that Jesus said something here because I feel like I can trust his take on things more than maybe Paul. And, and it, just catch yourself. If you ever are inclined to that, I don't prefer red letters in my Bible because of that. I don't ever want to esteem some of God's Word over the other. It is His Word. He speaks such that when Paul speaks, he is speaking the words of Christ. Th these are the words of God. And we err if we pit one word as more important or more authoritative over another. It is all the Word of God from whichever author He wrote it to us through. So we have to be on guard against uh, that instinct. Look at how every verse is profitable for you, for me. It's profitable to teach us what is true. It teaches us. The Word of God teaches, instructs us. The Word of God proves. It reproves us. It proves when we are wrong. It doesn't just say you're out of line. It says this is how you're out of line. It's true. The, the truth that, that calls me out is truth that's authoritative with a capital T. It trumps my instinct, my experience, my past, my, 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 maybe my denominational instinct from, from the way I grew up. His truth is true. And I am called out when I am in, in, in error with His truth. 
It doesn't just say, hey, you're wrong. It corrects that error. And it will say, this is what's right. This is what's better. This is the fullness of this truth. And then it trains us up in what is right or in righteousness. Not just to know it, but to live it. To walk it out. The implications of the truth. Think of all that that means. The Word of God is something that we are to be hungry for. When we open our Bibles, every single word matters. Think of what Kathleen does as she translates, laboring over each and every word. Every word counts. Every verse counts. And it profits you, believer. It profits you. And so we come with this longing, Lord, teach me what is true today as I sit under your word. Prove me wrong, Lord, with your word as I sit under this preaching. Correct my error, maybe my wrong thinking of this or my sin. Call me out, correct me, and build me up, train me, equip me in what is right and righteous. That's a good longing to have as you drive in toward, uh, toward church on Sundays. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent or complete, equipped for every good work. Think of that implication then, what it means. It means that you need every verse. That what, what God has given you to do in your life means that your study of all the verses benefits you it counts they matter every verse we can't ever say of our bibles well you know i've i've really studied this book or that and those are kind of my go-to books i like these books boy these books you know they're just i'm just going to trust the lord with all that i don't really want to study those that's not our call if that was the case god wouldn't have put that book in your bible what he said is, every book that I have put in this canon of Scripture is necessary for you. It is sufficient, and you need it to do what I've called you to do. As we engage and embrace all of Scripture, God equips us for His kingdom work. We need the verses, all of them. One of the great challenges that I faced early on here is that when I came to preach all the verses, as they said they wanted me to do, not long after, it was about a year and a half after I came and began to preach through, expositionally, just started at the beginning of the book and preached verse after verse, people began to say, we don't like the sound of that. We don't like these doctrines. We don't like these verses. We want you to just focus on this over here, but don't, don't go into the divisive stuff. Don't go into the complicated, hard things. Just preach evangelistically, primarily. It's kind of the message I took away from it. Well, I mean, that would work if our goal is to make converts. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, go make disciples. Disciples need to know the words of God, all of them. And so our reach is all of Scripture. And note how the connection is in the charge that he's going to give in chapter 4. He prefaces it with all the verses. And then he gives the charge to Timothy. What are you supposed to do with all these verses? Preach them. Okay? We need all the verses. Not just the ones that are warm and fuzzy, but the ones that really challenge us and push us 
to see the glory of God even there. So number one, embrace the whole counsel of God, good shepherd. Secondly, embrace the preaching of all of God's word. Embrace the preaching of all of God's word. Now, God has established a church culture here by his grace that is very much this, a hunger for all the verses. I love to see what he has done, but that was not always the case here. And so it's good for us to go back. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the charge of Paul to Timothy on this point. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. <laughs> Only Paul can set it up like that. That is significant setup for a three-word charge. With all of this that I've said, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. What word? All Scripture. It's all His. It's all God's. It's all profitable. Preach it. Look at the accountability. Look at the responsibility that the man who stands behind the pulpit with the word of God open carries. The presence of God, this charge meets you. And of Christ Jesus, by the way, who is the judge of the living and the dead. You will answer for what you preach, preacher. You will answer for what you hear and joyfully receive, listener. We are to answer for how we think and conduct the preaching in the church. Oh, by the way, he's coming. He's coming again. What will we be found doing when he comes? Are we playing games in the pulpit? Are we chopping up the text and throwing out the stuff we don't like and, 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 and just doing the easier things? No. Preach the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. Hmm. It's a solemn charge. It carries with us the, the weight of responsibility, the accountability. It's something that I feel every time I step out of my office and stand behind this pulpit. This is not a game. This, that we're talking eternal reality here. This is serious business. The Word of God is to be proclaimed. Not me. It's not my thoughts of how things ought to be and, and this, that, and that. We're talking the Word of the Lord. When we come, we should come with the weight of that responsibility, not just the preacher, but also the listener. Lord, I am about to hear Your Word preached. I feel the weight of that responsibility. Help me guard my heart. Help me engage. Help me listen carefully. Help me be discerning to, to lock in. And if there's anything that doesn't square with your word, help me catch it. Friends, be Bereans. If you hear me preach something that you don't see in this Bible, I had better be hearing from you. Right? That is our work. And I certainly know I'll be hearing from the elders. One of the problems with non-denominational church is that there's not enough pastoral accountability for what is preached or not preached. We need more focus on the scope of our preaching in the pulpits. It is not the preacher's job to dress up the food on the plate or to apologize for it or to say, well, the, you know, this ingredient is really kind of sour, so I'm going to leave it off the plate when I serve up the Word of God today. Who do we think we are 
to stand over the Word with that kind of judgment. We are collectively together under the Word. And we are accountable for the way we engage it, the way we receive it, the way we deliver it. We answer to the Lord. That's why James said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's something that weighs heavy on my heart. I don't just wake up and be like, hey, let's just skip into the pulpit today and, you know, come up with something to say. It's not like that. I don't play golf all week, okay? Let's be clear. Nothing wrong with golf, okay? I just, I just think the work of the pulpit is to be esteemed, guarded, protected, and entered into with great care. Preach the Word. Don't preach yourself. Don't preach your thoughts of God. Preach the Word. Preaching is not a stand-up gig. Sometimes I listen to sermons and it's just like, I feel like I'm at, at comedy hour. You know? Like the preachers come up with the zingers all week long and it's just, oh, it's such a great sermon this morning. We laughed the whole way through it. That means nothing. Did you hear from God? That's what matters. That doesn't mean we can't laugh. doesn't mean there's no place for a smile or a joke in a, in a sermon. Don't get me wrong. But preaching is not a stand-up gig. It is the Word of God given to the people of God for the glory of God. Preaching is not a popularity contest. Oh, which guy do you like the most? Well, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I think the, the most amazing guy in, in the county is this guy here. Who cares? What matters is, does he preach from the book? That's what matters. Are you hearing from the Word of God? Preaching is not historical reminiscing. Some pastors are disposed to kind of his, history buffs and tell you about all the cool little details of history and then this is why this and the, and the political implications. And No. There's history in preaching. It's authoritative history, but that is not the point of preaching. Preaching is to bring the Word of God to the people of God. Preaching is not philosophical speculating. I worked in a church where the pastor increasingly downplayed the Word and began to kind of feed the congregation on his philosophies, his thoughts of God and and, and how things are. And I was reading this book the other day, you know, not, not that book, just a book. And I was really struck by a rabbi, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't think I heard a sermon today. Where's the book, the book, the word being proclaimed? Preaching is not intellectual demonstration, it's not about oration and eloquence and awe. Oh, that pastor, he speaks with such eloquence. If he doesn't speak the word, it means nothing. Most of you are not here for the eloquence of your pastor, to be clear. We keep it real. Preaching is not an inspirational or motivational speech. We don't come to church to get what we can get from Oprah. Okay? This isn't about inspiring your self-esteem. This is about Hearing from God, right? At the end of the day, we are here to hear from God together. 
all of us. The word cariso is to preach, to proclaim. My favorite is to herald, to herald the truth. Publicly announce truth, the truth of God, and urge its acceptance and adherence. Call forward repentance. Call forward obedience. This is not, hey guys, I got my Starbucks and my little round table and my stool. I'm going to sit. We're going to have a conversation today. And, you know, I don't know if you feel like doing what God says. That, that'd be cool. They don't want to offend anybody, but we're just going to have a conversation. In fact, in California, I was told um, by the, the Gen X service to, to come down off the stage and sit on a stool and have more of a conversation because they didn't want authoritative proclamation. Because, you know, the younger generation, they don't really like that. Now, just think with me a bit. You can read your Bible by yourself. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. You can read your Bible with other people and study it together. That's wonderful. But there is something that God has ordained take place when His servant who has studied all week opens the Word of God and with authority proclaims it to the people of God. Something unique happens there. The Word of God meets us in a very special way. And this is God's intention for it, that we sit under the proclamation, the heralding of His Word. I find myself with you under that, even though sometimes I'm the one speaking. I feel together with us. We're under this together. It is authoritative proclamation. Thus says the Lord, the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts has spoken. Here is His word, friends. Let's get there. Let's get there. I told the church when I candidated in 2008 that I would never apologize for the Word of God. Never. I'm not going to apologize for the Word of God. It will offend people. People will be offended by the Word of God. We won't apologize for that and we're not going to compromise His Word to please people. I preached a sermon in California before I came up here on... Uh, the judgment of God in the flood when God killed eight billion plus people, likely, by drowning them in water. And it's not just a cute story about animals in a boat. Like, this is massive judgment, like the world has never seen at the hand of God, drowning billions of people and saving only eight. And it was important for us in that context to hear how serious sin is to God and what He can do in His wrath if He sets out to drown, He will do it. And what a grace it is to see the rainbow in the sky and know that He won't do it by water anymore, but fire is coming. So repent. The following week, pastor stood up and apologized for that sermon. Apologize to those who were offended by that sermon. Not here. Not here. That was love, friends. The wrath of God revealed is His love to those who are warned 
to repent and flee for the shelter that Christ provides from his wrath. It's like if you apologize for the word of God, you stand over his word in judgment as if somehow we know better than he does. Who, who do we think we are? He is God. He has spoken. We get under there with humility and awe and run to it and believe it. To apologize for the word of God, to compromise it and call it love is the equivalent of walking someone to a cliff, hugging them, and then dropping them to their death and calling that love. That is not love. Truth is to be proclaimed even if it offends. Preach all of the God-inspired word. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Don't be timid, Timothy. Preach the word without apology or compromise and preach all of it. Don't pick your verses or cherry pick that happens in many pulpits today. Oh, this verse is awesome. Let's just look at this verse. Lift it completely out of its context. Make it mean something it doesn't mean at all in the text. Or let's just emphasize this theology, but let's ignore this doctrine, this theology. Let's, let's, let's just completely pretend that these chapters don't exist in our Bible. Hard passage, topic avoiding, or the flip side of that, favorite verse focusing, right? Sometimes pastors have these favorite verses. If, just imagine if, if we only spent time in Psalm 119. You're coming on Sunday mornings, it's like, oh my word, here we go. Psalm 119. I've been in here for like six years. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to. I had a professor in seminary. It was the same thing in every class. No matter what class it was, he was always talking about the same theological debate. Friends, the beauty of the text is that we cover the full range of his revelation. So we just work our way through the text. I, I mean, imagine if I had to set the agenda of, of the text, I would freak out. I could never have the confidence to stand in front of you and say, well, this is what I think is most important about your Bible. Turn to this verse, then skip around and we'll go to this verse. That's scary. I'll tell you what's simple. Let's go to the next verse. Expositional preaching, expository preaching, just work verse to verse to verse, gives us the priority of the text and the doctrines and their emphasis. That's set by God, not by the man in the pulpit. So primarily we, we preach expositionally. We just pick a book, start at the beginning, move our way through the end. Occasionally, we do a sermon like this. It's a top, I call it topical exposition, right? We're in the verses, we're, we're seeking to understand what they're saying and apply them to our lives, and we need that. It's like the sermon I did confronting the ideology of wokeness a while ago. It's important at times to stop and say, wait a second, we need some equipment here. From the Word, what does the Word of God say about this issue or this topic? But if that's all we ever did, I think we would be out of balance. So expository preaching is one of the most blessed gifts to the pastor you can ever have. Just, what's the next verse? Let's go. We hit the hard verses, and we hit the easy verses. We get the priority of God in the text. Now he says this, preach the word with all of those prefaces. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. What an amazing thing to say. Preach the word, be ready, be prepared, brace yourself, because there's going to be times where the Word of God is in season. 
And there's going to be times where it's not. Hmm. Preach the word when it's in season. I came to the church and in 2008, the church began to grow rapidly. We doubled in size in the first year, year and a half. Lots of people were coming. What is the call to the preacher at that point? Preach the word. I was in a church in Michigan. We started uh, within five years. Our church grew up over 10,000 people. What do you do when that happens? Preach the word. <laughs> Just It's very simple. Preach the word. The problem is, in Michigan, our pastor became really impressed with himself, and he began to downplay the Word and kind of overplay his philosophies and, and feed the congregation more and more. And what happened is the church imploded on itself because it can't be sustained by the pride of a man. People were hurt because the Word was abandoned when the church grew. You know the greatest curse on a church sometimes is growth? That is a dangerous thing for a church to grow. So, Good Shepherd Community Church, hunger for the word preached when it's in season. When the community says, oh, we applaud your love. We love what you're doing over there. Good Shepherd, go for it, guys. You're, you're just the best. What do you do? Preach the word. Realistically, though, the the season we find ourselves in is not really like that so much. We have found increasingly that the Word of God, at least in our culture, in our county, is out of season. And we're going to see this more. What we stand for here, the, the, the positions that we take, biblically, scripturally, they are completely out of step with the culture at large. What do you do when the Word of God is out of season? You preach it. You preach the word without apology or compromise. You proclaim, you herald the truth of God. In this room, I've been preaching and I've had people stand up and stomp from way over here all the way across the back, making a scene and hit those doors. Just furious at what I was preaching. We have seen a lot of things. In fact, May, I think it was May 16th, 2010, over 100 people left our church. The goal was to implode, I think, this church, to cause so many people to leave, many of them under false accusations about me and what I was doing in the preaching of God's Word, to try to cause this church to cave so that they could come and take it back. They had previously tried to fire me for what they asked me to do when they hired me which was preach all the verses. It's amazing how the Lord met us there. Our giving increased. We had 50 people left. Our giving increased, and the vision that we're talking about was embraced. All the verses count. Hit us with the doctrines. Hit us with every verse. Hit us with those obscure Old Testament books that we don't really find that interesting. Hit us there, too. We need those. And from that point forward, we've been growing deeper and by the grace of God, wider in number. Preach the word. It's so simple. It's so simple. Long for the preaching of God's word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is not an overnight affair. 
This is long-haul preaching. This is a discipling work that takes time, right? When you come to church, be praying, Oh Lord, I pray as I sit under preaching today that You would reprove me, that You would rebuke me, that You would exhort me. It's to be done with patience and winsomeness, the love, soft-heartedness, spines of steel and soft hearts. That's what we're called to. The goal is understanding. The goal is not just know things. The goal is understand them. So if you have a question about something I'm preaching, definitely ask me. Talk with me. Don't, don't just write it off. Well, I, you know, pastor says it's true, so I guess whatever. You know. No, that's not good enough. We want the people of God to know the Word of God, to understand His Word, and believe it. Embrace it with their whole hearts. Long-haul discipleship under the Word of God. We got a lot of snow this past week, and whenever I think of snow, especially in that depth, I think of preaching. Because the work of preaching is, is, is not always that amazing on any given Sunday. But as time goes by and you sit under the Word of God proclaimed, it accumulates in your life. You will grow. It will build for you biblical categories that didn't used to exist. You will be challenged. You will be brought forward and you will see fruit. It will accumulate. Now, third, a warning here as we conclude. Number one, embrace the whole counsel of God. Number two, embrace the preaching of all of God's Word. Number three, Reject the instinct of itching ears. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will, know, uh, will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's never been easier to do. Just think how easy it is. You, you hear the preacher say something from the, from the text and you're like, I don't like how that sounds. I'm going to go find someone who agrees with me. Just a few clicks away, right? There's so many people talking, so many horrific handlings of God's Word out there that you can pretty much find someone to, to, to scratch your ear when it tickles. Hmm. Rejecting sound Bible teaching. Discarding truth preachers. That happens on large-scale measure today. There are very, very massive ministries of pastors who butcher the Bible and yet have massive audiences. Replacing with preachers who fit their desires. Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. That's what I'm asking you to do. Tell me what I want to hear. And if you won't, then I'm going to go find someone who will. Rejecting the truth and embracing a myth and what is not real, what's not true. Most dangerously so when it comes to the gospel. There will be many people who are heading to hell who have no idea that they have swallowed falsities of the gospel, but have stiff-armed the true gospel and replaced it with myth. Now, let's be clear. There's a time to leave a church. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that you should never leave a church. I have. 
I've left a church. I've left two churches, come to think of it, because of rampant compromise of this book. When this book is, is, is tossed aside or tread upon or ignored or sliced and diced for the, for the fear of man, then it is a good time to leave the church. But even that is not done so quickly. You take your time, you engage, you try your best to exert influence to, to steer it back to the book. This is the foundation we stand on. There is a such thing, however, as crash bar theology, is what I call it. It's when you hear the preacher preach, and you say, I don't like the sound of that. And without a word, you hit the crash bar, and you don't look back. Friends, there is in Whatcom County what I would call a carousel church hopping, and it has been going on for years. Years. People will jump on the carousel, and they'll ride along. Everything's awesome until the preacher says something that they just can't swallow or they've never heard. And they say, oh, that, no, I don't like the sound of that crash bar. Wait for the next one to show up. And then a few more years. Reject that, friends. Reject that. Unity is not found by hitting the doors. Unity takes work. Just happened recently in our church. We had a couple that was just vibrantly engaged and loving, and, and I start in on Romans, and they just couldn't stand what they were hearing. They hit the crash bars. I'm pleading with them. No, guys, don't leave. There's no reason for you to leave. I know this is new. That's okay. This is an opportunity. Let's lean into this. Let me walk with you and answer your questions and talk it through. Please stay, right? Gone. Gone. So my encouragement is when your ears itch because you're hearing things that maybe your other churches didn't preach, don't hit the crash bar. Lean into it. Stay with it. The work of unity is a work of the Word that takes some time. The call here, all of Scripture in every season, it's a charge to all preachers who fill this pulpit, it's a charge to all listeners who fill this room. 2020, it's our opportunity. It's our call. And we're about to go into Romans 9. Let's be clear. Not the easiest of books, right? If you're saying, okay, what book should I just kind of peruse through? Well, Romans 9 tends not to be that kind of book. It has verses like, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. That's, a, that's coming up. So if you are repulsed by the concept of that or, or the, the idea of the sound of that, catch your ears as they are itching and resolve to lean in and embrace every word. Embrace them all. Embrace the preaching of those words. Our response this morning, the call of 2022, trust and treasure God's word. Trust and treasure the Word of God. May we be a people, increasingly so, who have this instinct, rather than hitting the door and running away from His Word, to lean into it. Double down with, with God's Word. Go all in. I love your Word. I trust you more than I trust my thoughts of you, my instincts of you, my experiences or my past denominational heritage, whatever. I, I, I want to trust your Word. I know it's true. Let's go there together. Treasure it. Treasure the God of the Word. 
So in 2022, Lord, help us resolve to embrace the whole counsel of your word. Help us resolve to embrace the preaching of all of your word and help us resolve to reject the instinct of itching ears. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for how you've used this passage to minister resolve and strength to my own heart. Even when it's difficult and even when people get mad and and walk out and try to fire me and various things, Lord, you have sustained. And I'm so thankful for your work in this church. We are not who we were in 2010. You've grown us. You've put in us a hunger for your word, a a trust for your word, a a desire to understand and and to lean into the, 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 the doctrines that are difficult. We delight in your son, Jesus. We delight in the gospel, the simplicity of it and the complexities of all of the gospel. We thank you for every single word of every verse in this great canon of Scripture, your counsel to us, every page. We pray that we would hunger for it as we start 2022. May may our hearts yearn for your word and, and our minds be enlightened and illumined by your word through your spirit. Lord, make us increasingly a church that that teaches and preaches your word and lives it out in this county. Father, the greatest gift we could give to this county would be to be a people who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, who love one another, and who stand on your word without apology or compromise in love for the lost. Use us, we pray, to that end and glorify yourself as we work our way through Romans. In Jesus' name, amen.